The Resilient Cyber Podcast brings you conversations from diverse cybersecurity professionals, ranging from executives, subject matter experts, and aspiring entrants. Today's diverse threat landscape requires systems that can withstand a variety of cyber incidents, remaining trustworthy and secure. Thank you for joining us on episode one of the Resilient Cyber Podcast. My name is Chris Hughes. I have my co-host here, Dr. Nikki Robinson. Uh, So we're going to dive right in and give a brief introduction of ourselves, talk about why we want to start a podcast, and then discuss some of Nikki's research as well, as uh, and then close out by touching on our our next guest and kind of go from there. Uh, So my name is Chris Hughes. I have about 15 years of experience in IT slash cybersecurity. I initially started out in the U.S. Air Force, uh, active duty. Uh, left service about four years in and then went to the private sector for a bit of time, worked as a defense uh, industrial-based contractor for DISA and some other organizations. Uh, basically found my way back to government where I spent about four and a half years at the U.S. Navy, uh, NAWIC Atlantic, now called NAVWAR, uh, where I worked uh, on cloud security, cybersecurity, various activities like that, where I got to collaborate with not only the Navy, but also the Defense Health Agency. Um, left the Navy and ended up at another government agency called GSA, the General Services Administration, where I got to work uh, with TTS or 18F, as they're called, as well as uh, uh, FedRAMP, which is a program we'll definitely touch on in later episodes as well. Um, and then I left there and now I'm working for a consultancy where I work in the uh, both public and private sectors, uh, most notably working with DOD Platform One. Uh, the Air Force, uh, the Air Force's DevSecOps initiative, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get into as well. Um, outside of that, I live in Virginia Beach, Virginia, you know, married with three little ones. And uh, in, in terms of work, I also am involved with industry working groups such as Cloud Security Alliance DC, um, where I'm the membership chair. And I also contribute some of the white papers that come out of the Cloud Security Alliance, such as uh, Cloud Incident Response, for example. I also teach as an adjunct at two different universities, University of Maryland Global Campus and Capital Technology University, both in their graduate cybersecurity programs, where I focus on everything from introductory to cybersecurity, uh, cloud security, all the way through to the capstone projects as well. Uh, so with that, I'll kick it over to Nikki for her, inter- her introduction. Hey, thanks, Chris. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, so uh, my name is Nikki Robinson. I have been in IT and security for a little over 13 years now. Uh, got my start on help desk, I'm sure like a lot of people in IT and, and uh, security. Uh, worked my way up, uh, started on some kind of cool programs, and uh, kind of worked my way up to a senior sysadmin position. Uh, and then I got super interested in uh, virtualization, virtual desktop. So I worked my way into uh, leading a team, uh, managing a virtual desktop, uh, VDI and ZenApp uh, deployments. And from there, I got super interested in security, which we're going to touch on a little bit uh, when we talk about some of my research, uh, but got super interested in security and forensics, uh, especially when dealing with virtual desktops. Uh, so sort of worked my way into security from there, and I've been in security ever since. So thanks for having me, Chris. Um, I think we were going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of where you had this idea of a podcast, why you'd like to podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of the podcasting platform. I, f- I follow um, you know numerous shows. And I love the concept of getting in there and just listening to folks who are experts. As you know, the security uh, field is incredibly diverse, right? So many different niches you can work in and have expertise in. So I'm always following folks and listening to the conversations and learning from them myself. Uh, but I often find myself saying, oh, I wish they would have asked about X, Y, Z. Um, so right. I just got the idea of, you know, I would love to do something like this myself and, and bring some on, some of these people on and have great conversations. And then, you know, I thought, why not have a co-host who brings a different perspective, different background than myself as well? 
Um, so what I'm looking to get out of it is have, you know, people on, um, have conversations about their expertise, you know, their background, how they got into cybersecurity, all the way up to where they got, uh, where they are now and the things that they focus on and, you know, uh, why that's valuable and, and, you know, what others can learn from them. And of course, I'd love to have some conversations on the flip side of that and discuss, uh, you know, the career field at a high level with uh, people who are looking to get into the career field. You know, we both teach at universities and things like that. I'd love to talk about how to get into the career field. Uh, recommendations about how to target certain roles that you're interested in, you know, uh, and, and also just some of the barriers to getting into the career field, you know, and, and how we can change that to make it more uh, open and uh, diverse, basically. Yeah. How about you? What, what, what drove you to want to start a podcast? Well, it's funny. I think we have a lot in common there as far as there's so much diversity in security. It was one of the reasons why I got drawn into security uh, kind of out of IT. I liked having a specialization, but the one cool thing about security is there's always something new to learn. You got to learn a new OS. You've got to learn a new tool. You have to understand an application. Uh, there's new vulnerabilities. There's new exploits. Uh, there are so many different types of people that work in this industry. Uh, and I totally agree. I want to hear more from them because uh, I'm, I'm a constant learner. I always want to learn something new. Uh, so I think the idea of a podcast is great because not only do we get to kind of talk about the things that we love, that we're passionate about, uh, but we also get to talk to other people who are just as passionate and excited uh, about everything security. Uh, there's so many things to talk about from incident response, digital forensics, cloud security, uh, research, academia, technical. There's so, there's so many different angles to security. And so I know I'm excited to just kind of dive into a bunch of different topics. Yeah, I definitely just wanted to footstop that. It is an incredibly rich career field. And you know that's something we'll talk about when we talk to people who are looking to get in a career field. It's got to have a certain uh, aptitude and, and kind of a thirst to always be learning because you're never going to know it all. There's so many different niches and you could be an expert in, in each of, you know, one of those at a time and, and no one knows everything. So you just always got to be right. willing to always be learning, always keep going and always, uh, you know, stay on top of things basically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with that said, you know, let's pivot a bit and talk about your research. You have a, a doctorate already. And then if I'm not mistaken, you're now pursuing a second doctorate. Um, so can you tell us a bit about, you know, that what led you to the first doctorate, let alone one to pursue a second doctorate? And then maybe we can get into some of the specifics of, you know, what you researched the first time around and what you're looking to build on, you know, in your second pursuit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm not sure if you know this, you might. This is my favorite thing to talk about. I love talking about research because, uh, I think blending academic uh, and technical pursuits uh, can be really, really helpful. Taking some of the stuff I've learned in academia and blending it into my technical profession, uh, I think can, can uh, there's, a, there's always benefits there. So I got really interested uh, in security, like I was saying. I, I was helping with some investigations, uh, kind of doing some forensics work from the IT side. Uh, and when I was managing this environment, I started noticing a lot of uh, medium and even low vulnerabilities. You know, they're scored by CVSS. And so based on those scores, uh, medium or low, I noticed that some of them were still possibly exploitable, maybe even a little bit older, maybe uh, exploited in the wild and could potentially be used in combination um, and could make more severe attacks. So I got really interested in that idea, which is why I kind of ended up at Capital Technology University um, with the uh, DSC in cybersecurity, because I was like, okay, well, let me explore this and kind of see where we go. Uh, so as I was looking into these vulnerabilities, I noticed that vulnerability scoring is a challenge, right? It, it's really hard to get right. And just because something has a score doesn't necessarily mean 
that it should be prioritized in a certain way. Uh, so, so anyway, so I got really interested in this. So the way I formed my first research, it's a quantitative method. So I'm looking for numbers. I'm looking at statistics. I want to see uh, how people actually score vulnerabilities. So I used a uh, pretest post-test method. So the idea behind that was to, uh, in the pretest, I have my participants. I want them totally blind to just uh, score 10 vulnerabilities and just see how they score them. So that's my control group, right? They're just going to score vulnerabilities and then they're going to see the same set of vulnerabilities again. And do they change their score? So that's my control group. So my test group, uh, they got to see that first set of vulnerabilities, score them just based on their industry knowledge, based on how they they remediate vulnerabilities. Uh, and then they're actually going to see a demonstration of how those vulnerabilities could be used together. Uh, so they got to see three chained vulnerability demonstrations in between the first scoring that they did. And then on the post-test, they had to score those vulnerabilities again and see, I wanted to see if seeing those ch- vulnerabilities used together, even though they're considered technically lows or mediums, uh, would that change their mind and potentially score them higher? Uh, so that's kind of, that's where my first research went. Uh, Do you mind if I the, jump in? Do you mind if I oh, jump yeah. in there with a quick, quick question, actually, two questions. Um, so in my experience, you know, we all kind of commonly use like CVSS or CVE, as you mentioned, to score. And a lot of times, like, you know, I've worked in operational roles, we're basically using like something like Tenable or something that kind of has that uh, information already baked in, in terms of the score scoring. Um, you know, from an operational perspective, how do you see like, you know, because you tied, like you said, acad- academia and like technical actual actual operational experience. Um, how do you see like uh, people that are using these in operational roles? Uh, how do you see this a- applying to them? You know, because they may not have time into a deep dive into every single uh, CVE, for example. Um, how do they kind of apply this and understand that just because it says a certain severity doesn't mean it actually is that severity or, or make, you know, more use of that information, basically? Yeah, absolutely. So this is the kind of interesting thing, too, about vulnerability scoring. Everybody has a unique environment. So every IT person, whether you're with a small business, whether you're with private industry or a public sector, you have different goals and different maybe requirements that you have to meet. Maybe you have different standards that you're using. Uh, So it is very unique. Uh, Your environment's going to be very unique. But the idea is to not necessarily take a score for what it is, but to say, you know, hey, maybe I have a particular asset, uh, maybe a web application server, uh, maybe something that I know might be a highly targeted asset. And instead of just saying, I'm going to fix all the vulnerabilities, say, let me focus on this one asset. Let me see what I can do to knock out some of these mediums and lows, something that is very specific to this web application. So it is about learning a bit more about your own environment and making sure that you understand what your high risk uh, or potentially high risk targets are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is something that I kind of uh, rant about lately is like, in, in, in my experience, there's often no context, right? It's just, we're just chasing these scores, chasing these severity levels, trying to bring down vulnerability numbers, but there's no context around like, you know, why are we doing this? What are our high value assets? How can we prioritize our efforts to actually uh, align with that? And then also there's uh, the concept of an attack path, right? Uh, having that context of like, maybe there is a high vulnerability here, but you have some remediating or compensating controls in place within your architecture or something like that, that negates the fact that it's, it's very unlikely, you know, it takes a high severity, for example, to a low uh, based on the context right. of your architecture and things like that. Um, I have seen some innovative technologies and organizations coming out that use like graph technologies, for example, to kind of show you that attack path. And that right. way you can see, 
not only based on like scoring of, of a CVE, CVS, you know, a CVSS, I'm sorry for vulnerabilities, but is it exploitable? Can you actually get to it? There's context there that matters. And I think as, an or, you know, as organizations mature in terms of vulnerability management, that's going to come into more play, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I think that's probably one of the reasons why I love vulnerability management so much, because it really is about maturing that program. It's about taking it from you know, just talking about patch management or just talking about a vulnerability or one vulnerability or two and talking about uh, a holistic approach. You know, we're really, at the end of the day, we're talking about risk management uh, because it's not just one vulnerability. It's how is my organization protected? Where where are my high risks? Um, And how can I lower some of those risks? Or should I say, you know what? I'm okay with this. I need to accept this risk, but I won't except risk B, you know, so it's right. kind of weighing the pros and cons there. Absolutely. So just, just another question or, or thought on that front, you know, uh, operationally, like I said, a lot of folks are kind of just trying to show metrics to leadership to show, Hey, we, we remo- removed or reduced X number of vulnerabilities. Um, how can they go about telling that story and providing that context to leadership to say like, you know, we're not just chasing metrics that don't necessarily mean anything. We're tying these to actual organizational risks. How can they, um, you know, get, better support to tell that story and not feel the pressure to just chase numbers that may not mean anything significant. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, it's funny that you asked that because I feel like that's one of those big questions I get a lot is how do I effectively talk to my leadership or my leader, you know, all of my leaders and express to them urgency in some areas and then express like, Hey, we don't have to be too worried about that right now. Um, So some of those metrics can be good. It's all about the type of data that you're displaying. So showing the amount of patches that you remediate, that's good, but it could be even better to say, here's my high-risk assets, here are the vulnerabilities that we need to take care of, and kind of showing a path of what needs to be remediated first. Because I've found that, you know, sending a spreadsheet of 300 things that need to be fixed, that's not a good way to do things. But if you can say, hey, we've got these three assets, or let's say these three groups of assets, Um, let's say I have one vulnerability, even if it's a medium, I have one vulnerability across them all. And if we remediate that, you know, we could potentially reduce risk across, let's say like 5,000 desktops or something. So you could say, hey, it's one vulnerability. We make this one change. Here's our big bang for our buck. It's free. We just have to make the change, whether it's group policy or uh, applying a patch or something. But you could take that and say, okay, here's our big bang for our buck. We remediate this vulnerability. We can reduce our risk by X percentage. So there are some uh, security tools out there like Tenable and some others that you can actually show that risk being reduced by a percentage. And I think that risk reduced percentage is a big deal because that it helps to look at the whole environment and then say, oh, okay, we are knocking out stuff. You know, it's not just here's a list of vulnerabilities remediated, but here's the risk lowered. Yeah, that makes sense. I think uh, in my experience, also tying it to like high valued assets, like what is our what is our core competency as an organization? What are we most concerned with? What's the most important to us? As they say, our crown jewels and then communicating your how your security efforts are impacting and, and, you know, reinforcing security around those crown jewels, quote unquote, as they say. Um, so with that said, um, how about your second research effort? Do you mind diving into that a bit? Oh, yeah. So uh, so it was interesting what I found, you know, the first go around. I actually found that I was fortunate enough. One of my mentors, uh, Dr. Uh, Ray Latier, who was actually on my committee, I actually got to do my study with the Marine Corps, which was amazing. Uh, <laughs> it was so cool. But I actually found 
based on their training and their expertise, they actually scored these vulnerabilities higher than I was expecting. So they were prepared. They were like, oh, no, we know these are we know these can be can be bad vulnerabilities. So it was really interesting what I found. So when I started kind of came finished that research and I've worked on a couple researcher papers since then. But the one thing I kept thinking about, I actually almost went into psychology before I got into IT. That was something I had started a psych degree. And I had my manager at the time, I was like, you know, I'm thinking about going through with psychology. And he said, no, go into IT. IT is where it's at. I was like, okay. So I got into IT. But I've always been interested in the psychological kind of components behind technology. So, and especially in security, when we talk about social engineering, insider threat, there are such there are so many psychological components to, to those uh, programs. So I got really interested in kind of in the vulnerability management context, kind of our inability to view multiple vulnerabilities at a time to detect those vulnerability chains or those, you know, how vulnerabilities could be used together. I was researching uh, linkage blindness, which is actually a concept in criminal uh, psychology where maybe law enforcement, when they're researching a a case or they're looking into a case, they don't necessarily, this is years ago, but they they had a hard time working with other agencies or groups uh, to identify maybe one criminal doing multiple crimes, maybe across states, state lines, or, you know, conducting different crimes in different places. So the idea that they have the inability to kind of link crimes together to one uh, person, I wanted to take that concept and see if it applied to vulnerability management where IT and security may have a difficult time looking at these multiple vulnerabilities at the same time. So that's kind of what got me into the human factor side and to see kind of how psychology affects uh, how we actually remediate vulnerabilities. That's fascinating. I think, uh, and, and also I think there's a lot of tie into other aspects too, like you talked about not only uh, vulnerabilities, but you know we often hear uh, people process technology, but in my experience, it often tends to be the focus is on the technology. And I think mm-hmm. more mature, seasoned cybersecurity professionals who have had success in their career are emphasizing that people come first, right? Not not just from the vulnerability perspective, but having an effective security program within an organization. It's people first, then process and technology. Uh, so human factors has a lot of overlap, I think, in those areas too. Um, and as you know, there's other individuals that have done research in this space, uh, such as Dr. Nobles, who I hope we can get on the show and kind of let you guys hash out some some human factors research and, and really take away some gems from both of you guys on that front. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's so much. That's one of the things, you know, when you kind of start doing this deep dive into like the literature review, I, I don't find as much out there. There's a lot of stuff that's coming out from 2019, 2020. So this is definitely an emerging field within cybersecurity, people trying to take those human factors, you know, which was traditionally UX and design behind technology, making sure that the software matches the the users that are using it. So it's kind of in that same context, but in, in a security world, how are our people using the tools? How are they using the technology and how can we improve those processes? Yeah, that's great. Um, I often see uh, some research as of late that often mentions like the teams, security teams in particular, are kind of inundated with a, a numerous amount of tools that they just keep getting thrown their way. And they never actually get time to actually go operationalize those, you know, use them, tune them to their environment and make them effective to get like actual some actual ROI out of them. Um, so, you know, human factors is huge in that regard, too. Um, so with that said, we're going to pivot a bit and, you know, kind of wrap up by saying, you know, what do each of us define as cyber resilience? Because the show is called the Resilient Cyber Podcast. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you go actually go first and say, you know, what does cyber resilience mean to you? So 
to be cyber resilient to me, it's really taking a holistic approach to security where we're not just talking about protecting and defending, but do we have a plan of action when something bad happens? You know, it's not just, okay, so I've identified vulnerabilities and I've remediated them. Okay, great. But what if something happens? Who are you going to talk to? What's your communication plan? Who is involved? Making sure that you have a holistic view of security and that everyone's involved. You know, uh, that to me is a big deal, making sure that not only is everyone in your organization aware of security, but also what are the processes when something happens? So that, you know, if someone in finance gets a weird email, who do they talk to? You know, that, that resilience to me is having a whole team that understands the importance of security and can help protect the organization. Uh, how about you? What do you think, Chris? Yeah, that makes sense. You raise a lot of good points. Uh, for me, I guess I'll uh, since you talked about you know people and process and organizational aspect of things, I'll talk more maybe on the technological side of things. Um, for me, it basically means not only the ability to kind of protect and prepare for incidents, but also understanding that incidents are going to occur. It's, it's almost inevitable, and they may have already occurred already, and you just may not be aware of it quite yet. So it's not only the ability to protect and prepare for incidents, but it's the, the ability to kind of withstand and recover from incidents and cybersecurity incidents as they occur. Um, and from a technological perspective, you know, I've been focusing a lot on cloud and there's a lot of innovative technologies you can use to ensure you, you kind of keep meeting these key organizational objectives, such as RPO and RTO, you know, recovery time objectives and recovery point objectives, you know, whether it's failing over to another geographic region, uh, quickly recovering your infrastructure through infrastructure as code. There's a lot of innovative approaches you can take in that regard. And I think when you couple that technology, like you said, with mature processes and, you know, uh, people at your organization understanding what our processes are when this occurs, puts organizations in a position to not only, like I said, protect uh, the organization and the, and the systems, but recover from incidents when they occur, even if in a degraded state initially. But the ability to withstand that is what's key for cyber resilience, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, to, to touch on one thing you just said there, disaster recovery, <laughs> that's absolutely a huge part of being cyber resilient. Like you, you have to have an organized, well thought out and tested disaster recovery plan, because I, I think that makes all the difference. Uh, whether it's incident response or if a server goes down, uh, whatever it might be, you need to have that kind of, hey, how do we bring things back online? Yeah, just just to emphasize a piece you said there, you know, it's not only having a plan, it's having a plan that people have actually looked at and used and tested and tabletopped, uh, you know, for something to occur. Because it's great to have a plan, but if you've never actually ran a dry run of that, you have no clue how it's going to go, things you may have overlooked, how people are going to uh, respond to that situation. Uh, so it's testing it as well. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. So with that said, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. And just a teaser for our next episode, our, our first guest is actually going to be an individual who works for a hyperscale cloud provider. Uh, he routinely basically uh, advocates for cloud, cloud security, and also consults with uh, CISOs and other C-suite executives in terms of how cloud can help the organization and taking them through uh, cloud security transformations and journeys as well. So we look forward to you guys joining us and we appreciate your time today. Thank you so much.